job up. Welcome, my friends, to the Moon Jockeys Podcast. <laughs> An in-depth discussion of Star Wars themes, characters, and storylines. Now, here are your hosts, Katie and Brian. Welcome to another episode of Moon Jockeys Podcast. My name is Brian, your host. I'm thrilled to have a fabulous guest with me tonight. You may know her from Full of Sith or Mission History Podcast. How are you doing tonight, Holly? I'm good. I'm delighted that I get to be here and spend time with you. Yeah. Did you get to watch the Rebels episode? Yes. It was phenomenally good, and I'm still recovering emotionally, but that was really delicious and satisfying television. Yeah. What did you like the most? Just a real quick overview. Oh, uh, what did I like the most? Um, That's tricky, actually, because I like... I mean, I, I really like the coda at the end. I thought it was really phenomenal, and I love that it jumped so far in time right through all of the the major skirmishes and past the battle of Endor. Uh, yeah, I want, I want to see that, that Sabine and Ahsoka adventure that they hinted at. Yeah. I think you definitely aren't the only one that wants to see that. <laughs> and I've never seen so many people ask how Kanan and Hera had a child. Like, do we really need to get back to sex one one? <laughs> Right? Well, I mean, I presume the concern is that it, there's some sort of genetic situation since they're technically not the same species. Right. Or people just think they never had time to actually procreate. But, I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> clearly in terms of like how biological creatures were spread across the galaxy, the base DNA was really similar yeah. So, like I said this on Full of Sith, I think probably you're talking about a fraction of a percentage that's different that makes Twi'leks have head tails and have more colorful skin. So probably everything would be compatible otherwise for genetic replication. It's almost like an earlobe gene where some earlobes are attached versus some yeah. tree hanging. Yeah, like it's it seems like a very subtle variation in genetics, really. Cool. Well, I have a couple questions just to kind of let some people know who you are and introduce them to you. Um, you're kind of infamous for having a superb love of Greedo. Um, <laughs> I like how it achieves infamy. <laughs> what do you love? What drew you most to Greedo? Um, I've told this story before, so I hope it doesn't bore anybody. But when I was a kid and I first saw a new hope which was just billed as star wars because i'm old enough to have seen it on opening day um i remember i had really wanted to go to the movies to see the movie and i thought it was going to be neat and my parents made my brother take me and my big buy-in was that there was going to be creatures <laughs> and so we're getting through it, and I was totally blown away and in love with it. But then Greedo showed up, and I remember being like, yeah, now it's getting good. Like, they're <laughs> creatures, and they're talking. What, he's dead? Like, it was... 
so part of it was just my my lifelong obsession was just like the excitement over finally I thought we were getting to the really good part and then I was it was taken away too soon so I spend the rest of my life kind of accumulating Greedo things and <laughs> and uh, you know deifying Greedo in some ways and, <laughs> I just love Greedo. There is nothing wrong with that at all. It's quite endearing. I love him. I love his little kind of fishy, kind of froggy face. I love him. What are the knobs on his head called? Like the... I don't know. <laughs> just just bumpy rodian. bits. Yeah. Bumpy bits. That's just, you know. Yeah, rhodian texture. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into sewing? Uh, I've almost never not sewn. Um, the family story is that when I was three, I went to my mom and told her that I needed some fabric and a needle and thread. And uh, she sewed, so she had like a stash. And she was like, okay, but I have to, you know, like keep an eye on you. Because they were like, is she going <laughs> to eat this? Like what's going to happen? And I just made like this doofy little stuffed fish out of like really gross quintuple knit polyester that nobody wanted and like you know stuck a button on for an eye and it was hideous but like i never stopped after that i was just like all right now i'm gonna make all my dolls clothes now i'm gonna make my clothes now i'm gonna make everything for the hat like i just i like making stuff you realize high schoolers take that class it's called home mech i know and i shamed those kids <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh really you made a little pillow i made this whole three-piece suit oh like, my god <laughs> Oh, that's I made your prom gown. That's what I was doing that one. I was not a. I was really into clothes. Plus, like when you hit high school and then even like uh, college and and young adulthood after college, you know, most of us are broke. But I still really loved clothes, so it was usually a little easier to make them in terms of wanting to accumulate the wardrobe that I desired. Cause I could always like hit the thrift store and get really inexpensive stuff and then cut it up and make it into something else. Um, so yeah, it's never really ended. Wow. That's a kind of a good tip. If you're trying to make your money stretch. Mm -hmm. If couture is ultimately about self-expression, we're going to get a little philosophical here. Uh, <laughs> what do you think your custom pieces say about you? Um, that I just like things that are unique. You know what I mean? Like, part of it is that I do feel like it's very much a, a piece of self-expression anytime you get dressed in the morning. Um, I know it's not that for everybody, but for me it really is. And so, like, having one-of-a-kind garments, I think, kind of goes that one step further, where it's like, it's actually a little bit lazy on my part, right? Where, like... I don't have to put together an outfit. I can just throw on a dress I made that has like Greedo on it. <laughs> Everybody knows that I'm really into Greedo and that's where I'm at for that day. You definitely celebrate some of the characters that you love the most on, well, the one time we met. Um, and it's like, I think that that's pretty cool to be bold and to show the love of the characters that you love. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it would feel weird not to, to me. Um, cause it's always been something that I really enjoy and it's not, you know, it's not like it's any big secret that I love <laughs> Star Wars. So I'm completely comfortable just, uh, throwing that out there. Like I got, I got my Radis dress. I got my, that is so I got, cool. I got a couple of Krennic dresses. <laughs> um, I got, 
porgs. I got a lot of Princess Leia dresses. Yeah, I love a big sort of statement graphic on a on a garment. It's fun. That's awesome. Um, and you're actually one of the few podcasters that do it professionally. So what do you love about podcasting most? Um, this actually varies from podcast to podcast. Right. So like stuff you missed in history class, which is, you know, how I pay my bills and, uh, you know, put food on the table is for me, it's a lot of work, right? Like you're basically writing a research paper every week with no breaks, which can get a little exhausting. Mm -hmm. But for me, what's most exciting about that one is just like when we do live shows and I get to go out and meet listeners and it's usually a really fun event. And like, that is where I really, really love it. Like I love connecting with the audience on a more personal way. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But then for shows like full of Sith, for me, I just love yakking about Star Wars with Brian and Mike. Like that's like the, sometimes the thing that gets me through the week is like, okay, this week is really stressful. I worked like 68 hours this week, but you know what? Sunday night, Mike and Brian and I are going to just talk about Star Wars like dorks. And that's going to be a really good therapeutic hour. Um, so, but I also love doing live shows with them, but I really just like doing the podcast is great. If we never, ever did a live show, that would be fine too. Uh, so it depends a little bit on the, the podcast. I like that Full of Sith is topical and it can vary like what the topic is from week to week a lot. Yeah. And then I have a, a new podcast that will be launching in the next six weeks or so that I'm doing at work and it's uh, about animation. I'm not giving anything away. It's been announced. But for that one, we did, I think, 37 interviews for like an 11 episode season. Oh, wow. And so like we my uh, producer, Noel, and I traveled out to L.A. a couple times and we traveled to San Francisco and we just met with people in the industry and did interviews. And to me, that was like super fun because I love animation and I could totally like be my fangirl nerd wad self and just talk to them about their work. Well, I put a couple poll questions on my Twitter feed uh, to get the audience's opinion on a couple things. Do you want to, want to go over those with me? I do. The first question was kind of a doozy, and it needed to be explained a little bit. Um, who had the biggest impact shaping the feel of the prequel trilogy? And the options I gave you to choose from uh, were Doug Chang, Trisha Bigger, Rob Coleman and Ian McKaig. Did I pick the right people? You picked the right people, but it's hard to prioritize any one of those over another. Yeah. Because it's a team at the end of the day, right? Like it is. they're I mean, if I had to pick Oh, I uh, it could be either Ian McKaig or Doug Chang. I would lean towards Ian McKaig because he did more of like the clothing and the stuff that I really obsess over, but that's my only logic. And he did one of the best character um, designs ever. He's done a lot of the best character designs ever. Like his style is so beautiful. Um, but what do you think is the best character design ever? Um, well, we'll get into it, but I, I was the one voice that said that Doug Chang wasn't the biggest influence I'm going to make an argument that Trisha Bigger made a significant change to the Star Wars galaxy. Oh, yeah. 
And I think what people that are maybe not clothing or costume nerds may not realize is that like the level of production that she brought to it is astonishing for a film because they're not costumes. Those are like couture level clothes that are all handmade beautifully. You know what I mean? There are no tricks to it. There's no like all of the fabrics she chose are these incredibly rich, luxurious, really, really high end, beautiful pieces to begin with. And then they're made into incredible garments. I have a lot of respect for that woman. I do too. And I guess my argument for her is that Doug Chang is kind of the next generation's um, Ralph McQuarrie, where we already had a superb industrial design designer creating new worlds. Like we've kind of been living in that for 20 years at that point. Um, But we never had the level of female clothing and female representation that the prequels gave us. Like Princess Leia may have had like two or three outfits. Padme like broke that by leaps and bounds in what she she did. did. And again, I will go back to that. Like the level of production quality is amazing comparatively. Like you've seen um, the costume exhibit that's been touring. Yeah. It's like you look at the Princess Leia dress that's in that current touring exhibit, which just in case anybody is unclear, that's actually the one she wore at the end of Empire Strikes Back. It is not the one from A New Hope. There's slightly different, but it's a pretty basic, you know, little polyester, drapey, simple gown. And like to look at that and then like turn around and see some of Amidala's costumes, like you really realize what a leap took place in terms of like attention to detail to the women's outfits in particular. And I think that the prequels um, kind of encaptured the female audience on a level that the original trilogy didn't as much. I mean, we had female friends from female fans from the get go, but I think the next generation had more than the first generation. Uh, It definitely felt that way to me growing up. I mean, I remember, and again, like this dates me and shows what an old lady I am, but um, like, I remember right around the time that um, Jedi came out. So that was 83. I would have been 12. Like, I remember having seen that movie and going to school the following Monday and being like, I saw Return of the Jedi and people looked at me like I was a pariah and I was like, okay, we put that away for a little while. Um, Whereas I really being in the fan community as the prequels were coming out and seeing kind of younger fans come in, there were a lot more to my eye. And this is just experiential evidence, right? It's not like I have a full data set to my eye. I certainly saw a lot more young women, in their like early teens and teen years that were really excited about star Wars in a way that I don't remember my peer group being excited about it in the early eighties. Exactly. Like if I share a similar experience, I'm almost as old as you are. I'm very close. Um, And if you look at the younger, uh, the younger generation of podcasters, you see a ton more of female podcasters today Mm -hmm. as well. So, the next question, uh, 
I asked was, uh, what is your favorite prequel species? If you don't see your favorite, please tweet us. Um, <laughs> so the ones I gave us, I gave the options, was the Twidarian, uh, the Kaminoan, Kaminoan, however you choose to say it, Geonosian, and the Basilisk. Um, the Basilisk may be confusing, but it's Dexter Je Jetster. Yeah. And the winner of that was the Basilisk, which I was kind of surprised by. Really? That yeah. does surprise me. I mean, of that list, I think I would pick Toydarian. But there were Rodians in the prequels. And I, that's, that's where my heart lives. So I always have to go for that. Well, I was kind of asking about new species, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of surprised I didn't get any Gungan write-ins. I know Brian would have probably voted Gungan. Right. He's the the Gungans are pretty great. I have to say Boss Nass, pretty great. Do you like him? I do. I really do. I like his spitty, big, puffy jowls. I like... I like Boss Nass. I think he would be fun to hang out with. I think Boss Nass is the reason why Jar Jar gets so much hate. <laughs> You think? Yeah. I I like Boss Nass. His dialogue is kind of the worst when he's like, we saw being friends. Well, he's a weirdy, but you know, we don't, we don't know what their like oxygen situation is. For all we know, he's just kind of like operating at not optimal levels. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, he, they do live underwater, so. He could be, you know, intoxicated for all we know. I don't, I'm not going to judge. <laughs> we actually had a write-in in our um, favorite prequel species of Force the Bulba and Dugs by Jim Caprin. So just a shout out to Jim. Well, let's get into the topic of tonight, which is our favorite character designs of the prequel trilogy. Um, being our guest, would you like to kick us off with your honor honorable mention? Uh, sure. I have a few. So one of them just came up a moment ago. It's Dexter Jetster. He's pretty awesome. I, he I have is. thoughts on him. I love him. I love that he's kind of a dirty mess, but still is super uh, incredibly knowledgeable. You know, it's kind of like a great example of like, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, because you wouldn't look at him and think he is one of the galaxy's most experienced intellectuals, but he has incredible insight and he's clearly very smart and he has just chosen a life that makes him happy, which maybe isn't the most glamorous, but he seems delighted. So I, I love Dexter. I mean, he's feeding the common person in a diner who doesn't love going to a nice diner or well, a Ugh. dirty diner late at night after you've been drinking. I mean. His diner looks very clean. He just has kind of the messy cooks situation going on. <laughs> yeah. Droopy pants. <laughs> Droopy pants. There's some stains on that shirt. It's a mess. But the, I'm sure the food is great. Probably passes health inspection every time. <laughs> cool. My first uh, honorable mention is General Tarful from the Wookiees. Yeah. Like... We have had never seen Kashyyyk in the original trilogy, and seeing that in the prequels was pretty exciting for me. Now, is there something about Tarfels that sets him apart from other Wookiees for you? 
he feels more like a warrior uh, with his dreadlocks and just uh, his uh, thing he put wears not his bandolier but he wears something like that that yeah, makes him feel more sort warrior of... yeah yeah I buy it do you want to hear my next one yeah uh, it's Watto. <laughs> I and I will tell you a story that might make you think I'm a crazy person, and I am, but this might not be the evidence. Um, do you remember when <laughs> episode one came out and Pepsi did those giveaways where they had like the life size, big plastic and vinyl versions of characters on display in stores, yeah, and then yeah. you could win them. Yeah. So we won the Watto from our local store. Are you serious? Yeah, and I love him. And, like, for a long time, my husband and I used to host these really big, crazy Halloween parties. And every year I would make Watto his own costume. <laughs> so he's been, like, an angel. He's been, like, little Bo Peep. I, I thought it was always really funny to put him in some very bizarre sort of Victorian-era girly outfit. I don't know why. And I used to joke that I wanted to get, like, a baby carriage and just roll him around and wait for somebody to go, Oh, what is your... Ah! But I never did that. But I love him. <laughs> I have thoughts. I'll hold those off for a little later. <laughs> My next one is Lama Sue from the Kaminoans, Kaminoans. Yes. I oh. love the Kaminoan design. It kind of reminds me of the Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, for sure. So I really like that. It's very, very typical alien with the big eyes. Yeah, there, um, there's something so soothing about all of them too. Like all of their voices are very soothing, and it's just like, oh, I wish you would come and talk to me when I have insomnia. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Great. My next one is Poggle, the lesser. The termite. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. He's king termite. Um, I love him. I love love that the Geonosians had that whole like fantastic clicky language mm -hmm. I he is very ugly in a really beautiful way you know he's like it's one of those things kind of like when you look at an insect and you go oh a bug but then when you look closer and you see like sort of the beautiful um symmetry of them and the the way that their bodies are balanced it's really quite lovely design and so it's kind of the same thing with uh any of the geonosians where i'm always like oh they're hideous but oh they're quite cool and kind of pretty so and everything kind of has a purpose it thoughtfully comes together yeah very cool he uh just just got kicked off my list so he, he was definitely in consideration <laughs> <laughs> Um, the next big group that I thought that was really cool is they had to design the Jedi Council uh, with the prequels. And the, the Jedi Council as a whole was really cool uh, because they just had so many different species represented on the council. Um, and one of my favorite designs is Plo Koon. Um, mm -hmm. I like to call him the Cenobite Jedi if you have ever seen Hellraiser. Um <laughs> He looks like he could uh, be in the Hellraiser franchise where Pin Pinhead says, uh, do you want to play a game? Um, yeah, he could be something out of Nightmares, but now he's like a benevolent Jedi that will 
rescue you and give you a better life. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever play Jedi Power Battles? I haven't. To, uh, which came out, I think, alongside Episode One. I love that game, and I always wanted to play him whenever I had the option because he had that rad yellow lightsaber and he had really cool technique. Mm-hmm. I like Plo Koon a lot. And he is uh, Day's favorite. So. Uh, with good reason. Uh, my next one is Queen Jamila of Naboo, who is the queen that succeeds Padme Amidala. Uh, and she's got that beautiful, like, black velvet kind of variation on similar gowns that we saw uh, Amidala in with a little bit of a, a switch up. Her headpiece is that beautiful like abalone shell kind of fanned out, but then it has almost a geisha style hair pile on top of it. I just like it. It's a little gothy. It's very pretty. It's groovy. Nice. Uh, and then what is your number five? My number five is another queen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have a thing. uh, And it's Queen Apollana. And she is barely in the prequels at Padme's funeral. She is then the queen that takes the throne after Jamila. And she is in a dress that looks, in terms of its line and cut and design, almost identical to Amidala's pre-Senate gown, except it is in much darker tones it's got a much more of a, a a metallic look to it. It's like a, a this really unique, beautiful silver weave in the the main fabric, and then the, instead of the pearls that we saw on Amidala's thing, she's got like these really great kind of black and um, silvery, like dark silvery beads. She has this beautiful fan headdress. I just I love everything about it. I love it. Do you like the formal wear a lot more? Yes, a lot more. <laughs> okay. A lot more. Cool. My f- number five is Watto. You mentioned him a little earlier. And everyone, people talk about the Phantom Menace and the leaps and bounds that Jar Jar did in having a full time CGI character and uh, how he had to hold his own with like live action people. I think that Watto did that better than Jar Jar did. I think that Watto kind of steals steals a scene from uh, Liam Neeson with the uh, "Why are you raving your hand around? What are you, some yeah. kind of Jedi?" Well, and he has. I mean, in terms of like subtlety of expression, I think Watto is it has the edge on Jar Jar as well. For me. I, too i'm sure other people would feel otherwise but he does kind of have these great little facial tics that are really unique and so like if you did not know that there were not creatures like that you would totally buy it and it's great that he's got this giant belly with these tiny little wings yet he still flies i mean well because his belly's filled with gas don't you read the visual dictionaries (laughs) sure it's, uh, yeah. it's just still visually interesting. It's very cute. He's like the bumblebee of the Star Wars universe. Yeah. What's your number four? Okay, I might get dinged for this because this is not like a high level of design, but I will defend it. Um, and it's Aura Singh. 
who again was barely in the movie. Um, she was at the pod race, but that's kind of why I picked her because she is in the movie for a split second. And so many people came out of the theater and said, who was that? Um, and it just speaks to, it's a fairly simple design, but it was super striking. And with that, like completely like grayish white skin and that high ponytail and those kind of elongated digits on her hands, it was very simple little tweaks on like a normal human form, but it made her so unique that everybody was curious about it, which to me is great design. Do you think that she could fit in in like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? Or am I smoking crack? No, I don't think you are at all. I see that. I see it. She's shiny and chrome. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> And then I was so glad when she showed up in Clone Wars that I like her a lot in Clone Wars and they kind of expanded her and gave her more to do, especially with young Boba. Yeah. So she's Love a cool it. character. Who's your number four? Um You said him earlier, Dexter Jetster. Um so good. The thing that is so cool is kind of the design process that goes uh, behind him where George Lucas is in one of his critique sessions taking in like the designs of all of his artists and he almost takes the horn of one and the throat of another to create a whole different character which ends up becoming the basilisk and Dexter Jetster and I think you see that in the behind the scenes uh feature of in the beginning is that right that seems correct i wouldn't put money on my memory of it but i trust yours more <laughs> but it's just I, I love the process of like kind of taking the best ideas from multiple people and creating something new that is better than either of them had on their own do you know what i mean oh yeah that's kind of a cool collaboration process and what is your number three? I'm betting heavily on Sebulba. <laughs> I love him. I hate him, but I love him. You know what I mean? He's he's a horrible weasel. But um, in terms of design, oh, I love it. I mean, it just sort of flips like our usual expectation and our tendency to like humanize any alien kind of on its head because you're like, wait, the feet are the hands and the hands of the, f I can't. So your brain kind of breaks and <laughs> stops trying to make him human. Like, and you just accept that he is this weird, wonderful, freaky creature. Like you don't know where those hands have been. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Um, my number three is actually the clones themselves um like to take a basic stormtrooper and to give them the variations that the prequels did particularly in order 66 is just really kind of cool um and w one of my favorites being apo uh that's the blue jedis of the 501st that attacked the jedi temple particularly the one that talks to Bail Organa. Um, I really like, I'm a sucker for anything blue, so if you make a Stormtrooper blue, uh, I'm going to be a sucker for that. 
Yeah, so my number two, oh, near and dear to my heart, is Sam Wessel. Really, Sam? Why? Yeah. I love her. Okay, I'm just going to be real flat out honest. Part of it is that her clothes are purple. <laughs> <laughs> that is such deep thought. I love it. <laughs> but I also love them, and I loved this sort of, you know, weird Claudite character that's an assassin that has kind of these fabulous shoes and these metal um, shin guards. And I loved her little pieced tiled leather skirtlet thing. And I, that great leather brim on her metal hat was really fun. Like I just, that's just a super fun character. And I love that. Like the lining of her little um, drape that goes across her face is bright red. Like there are just so many little beautiful touches to that design. Loved it. Do you like that she can shapeshift and yes yes i wish we could see more claudite action and see like how broad the scope of their abilities go yeah it was nice to see a claudite appear in the forces of destiny shorts too yes i want more claudites that was a pretty cool character my number two is uh the infamous Darth Maul. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, 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 Maul is pretty good. I feel like a lot of dudes really love Maul. I don't mean to make a sexist statement, but I know a lot of guys that love Darth Maul. <laughs> um, and he is, he's menacing and scary and intricate. Like his whole facial tattoo situation is very intricate. I get it. And the horns and the eyes and I just love them. And I love the idea that George gave them the Ian McKegg a task of draw the scariest thing. And he did. And he's like, okay, not that scary. And then he, <laughs> the option is number two is Darth Maul. Yeah. Well, I like too that, you know, from those, those Maul concept drawings, we ended up with mother Talzin and yeah. that became like a whole really rich, area like if we if we were doing this about character designs in clone wars talzin would be on my list for sure because yeah. that's good stuff all the dathomir witches stuff is great the power of costume exhibit that we went to um it's definitely worth the admission just for the darth maul stuff and well darth maul and queen padme amidala like that's it's so great i loved it it was really fun to go to see that well, you know, I just chase it around the country. Like, I went when it was in New York. I didn't go when it was in Denver. I went when it was in Cincinnati. And in, like, two weeks, I'm going to St. Petersburg to see it again. Nice! Because <laughs> my best friend and I just will meet up in whatever city it's in, because we don't always get to see each other. And then we have our little museum weekend, and we go and gawk at costumes. St. We're Peter's... debating over whether we're going to follow it to Detroit. Yeah. St. Pete is right next to Tampa, right? Yeah. I will be in Tampa in May. There you go. You can hop. I think it will still be running then. You can hop right over. No, it might not. It might end in April. Oh, Check. Check. I'm going uh, May the 4th to go see my new nephew. So that'll be nice. Fun. Nice. I will say I'm hoping because I have followed it around that in Cincinnati, there was a costume missing that I really loved when I saw the exhibit in New York. Oh, really? And it's. 
it's Padme's funeral dress, like that beautiful water dress that she wears. And when I saw it in New York, the um, the exhibit was at Discovery Times Square, and they had dedicated one entire room to that costume. And it was just her laid out as though at her funeral, and it was lit entirely by... Um, I'm doing air quotes, candlelight, like it was the the fake candles. Mm -hmm. But then it was just, there were mirror pieces all around the room on the walls. And so it created this incredible otherworldly effect and it just looked incredibly beautiful and it was quite moving. And they didn't have it in Cincinnati and I don't know why. So I'm curious to see if it will pop back in, in the St. Pete exhibit. That'll be fun. uh, Let me know. Um, Will. I will look it up to see if it's in town. I don't know if I can convince my wife to go see it, but I would like to see it. <laughs> I'll have to have some, convince her and my brother-in-law to go see. Uh, I really like to travel to see new baseball stadiums, and I haven't been to Tropicana yet, so hopefully you have to then write that off the list. Uh, yeah, now we're down to the thick of it. What is your number one? character design well we have a similar choice but mine is a little more specific than yours so mine is queen amidala but it's specifically her pre-senate gown pre-senate gown which one is that is that that is the one it's got it's got like a grayish lavender kimono with the penguin style sleeves we only ever see her in the movie wearing it seated um when she is having a discussion with Palpatine and it has the pearl headdress with then a big fan of like hair on top of it. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, that costume for me is like, I, I can't even describe it. Like literally when we first saw the trailer back in the days when you had to download it for a hundred years, um, <laughs> Kids don't understand what we had to go do through not, just to get to watch a trailer. Not. Um, and I actually had a great setup. I was working in a university library at the time, and we had a little 50-seat theater. And my boss, the head librarian, basically, like, once we got it downloaded, he let me invite a bunch of people and, like, my husband's entire office over. And we watched the the trailer on the screen in this theater. And it was the funnest, like, lunch hour any of us had ever had. But it took, like, two and a half hours to download <laughs> that, like, 90-second trailer. But the second I saw that pre-Senate gown, I was just like, I'm in. I am all in on this movie. I am in love with this. Um, and I even, like, went to the theater more times to see the movie than I probably would have normally just so that I could keep catching that costume and like making notes about it. And I would specifically like go at really odd times when I knew there would be almost nobody in the theater as it got later in the run so that I could have my little book light out and make sketches. That was like one of the first star Wars costumes I made, like outside of doing princess Leia. Have you do you have pictures of you in this costume? I do. I think actually if you go to starwars.com, I think they used it as my my like author picture. I only wrote a few articles for them, but that's what pops up in my little <laughs> <laughs> I won't have to look that up. Yeah. Uh, and do you know when we downloaded those trailers? That was an SD, like standard definition. It wasn't even in like 4K high 
Ultra high no. depth resolution. No. Oh, those were difficult times, but we got through. We survived, obviously, so it wasn't that bad, but it was, oh, infuriating sometimes. You'd start the download, it would go for an hour, and then it would time out. You have to start it all over again. Oh, my gosh. I know. Oh, that was some, you had to really love Star Wars to chase that thing down. You did. You really, really did. My number one is uh, Padme as well. I just... Because they did so much to expand female characters in the prequels, I think that her character design was most important because it had the biggest mm-hmm. impact in opening Star Wars to a whole other gender, like, on a different level. Um, yeah. Because I think it's a lot easier if you do like clothing a lot, and you like to change outfits to see someone that likes clothing and has a lot of different outfits that kind of offers a greater variety of what she is as a person. I mean, Padme goes from the ultra formal to super super casual casual stuff on Tatooine. So like she just is very diverse in what she wears and seeing it all come together. Um, is very important and like it's one thing to design these kind of clothing but it's another thing to bring them to life yeah um, and they did so much to do that to take these designs and to make them actually work in the real world the uh to kind of piggyback on something you said the other thing i love about it is that it kind of breaks that stereotype of like people that are into clothes are frivolous self-absorbed airheads you know what i mean like she had a closet full of beautiful garments and you could never apply any of those sort of pejorative terms to her she was an incredibly intelligent and driven and well-respected and outspoken person that was anything but frivolous but she also had an eye for great design (laughs) which i sort of love but it also felt like she didn't want to make anybody feel less like yeah she dressed for the proper occasion do you know what i mean yeah so yeah she's phenomenal i really like padme and i think it's pretty cool i i definitely recommend seeing some of the webisode um featurettes or documentaries that they did with um the phantom menace and attack of the clones two of them are Costume drama in P one nineteen or P nineteen. That's the uh, picnic dress that has all the flowers on it. My costumes are a little bit more revealing this time. Much more feminine, not as rigid. Just to be a more casual, softer figure this time. Now this is um, P nineteen, which Padme wears um, when she goes on a picnic uh, up to the shack fields with Hayden from the uh, retreat island, you know, she is going to fall in love. The costume in the hills in Naboo is really, really beautiful. It felt like a period piece as opposed to, you know, this futuristic piece, but it's very romantic and um, flowing. This has all been embroidered and we've laid on the little pieces of uh, roses onto the bodice just to link the whole thing to do. This is a little shawl that gets draped over the shoulders. And then there's twists of colored ribbons in in matching colors. 
light, summery, but quite sort of fun. So she can run about the fields and the dress floats. Which it's interesting because that's one of those dresses that I know so many women that fell in love with that picnic dress. My best friend has made it like more times than I can count. Um, <laughs> like always plussing her version and then she made several for other people. But like I liked it, but I never had that attachment to it. So it's kind of a fascinating thing to me just to see what different people, which of Amidala or Padme's looks people gravitate to is always a fascinating discussion. Do you think it's the embroidery or the um, boning that is in that dress that people like? Um, it's a few things, right? Like it's it's incredibly beautiful. Like it's it's layered. It's got this really beautiful gossamer movement to it when she's running through the meadow. I think part of it is because it is in a fairly romantic scene that for some people that is the appeal to it. Some of it is that it's got kind of a corsety look, but it still has kind of a demure uh, kind of vibe to it because it's not a particularly sexualized corset look. Um, that little capelet that she has with all the tiny flowers over it is just precious. And so I think it's like a, a combination of things, right? Like it's just, it, it hits a lot of the fantasy checklist for clothes that are completely impractical in our day-to-day -day lives, but are really romantic and appealing to people. What do you think of the George design dress of the fireside DTR <sighs> conversation? You know, it's not my favorite. I mean, it's a little like if I knew nothing about Star Wars and you just showed me these designs and said, which one did this dude that is not a designer design? I'd be like that one. Um, <laughs> that one right there. We have a much more romantic story so that Padme's costumes are obviously more sultry in nature and, you know, revealing and pretty. There's one costume that George designed himself. <laughs> and that was sort of the costume that, you know, I came on set and everyone was like, oh. <laughs> that was an interesting costume to wear. And it was really hard at the end of the day because the corset was so tight. They made my waist like you know, 20 inches or something. I will say this, though. The execution of it that Trisha Bigger did is so beautiful, particularly the skirt. Um, is this, you know, beautiful, it's lace layered over, I think it's a silk taffeta underneath, but I'm not positive. Uh, it might be a silk charmeuse, but um, it just creates this beautiful design out of layering those two fabrics. And then that um, feathery shawl that goes with it is really quite pretty that picks up like that subtle iridescent green that appears in some of the feathers. That I really like. I didn't see the feathering thing at all in the movie. And... So, like, when we went to see The Power of Costume, when I saw it with that Shaw, I was like, this is new, right? I, I don't remember <laughs> this at all. I think it... Oh, I got, I'm testing my memory. I think it appears in possibly a deleted scene. Okay. But I'm not positive. But I know it showed up in, like, production photos that were going around at the time. Sure. Sure. The leather and... Yeah, choker thing. It's yeah, just weird. It's, it's a little trite, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, I mean, again, if somebody goes up to like a 25 year old guy and goes, What does a sexy lady wear? And he goes, A black leather corset and a choker. Like, it's not that imaginative. <laughs> 
it's fine. It's fine if you're into it. I'm not shaming it as a clothing choice at all, but it just it is not terribly imaginative. It's my thing. Okay. And I am loath to ever criticize George, but that one was a little too pat for me. Okay. Cool. Um, now it's time to hear from you, the listeners. If you can email us your favorite character design at moonjockeyspodcast at gmail.com. Holly, I really want to thank you for taking time to talk with me tonight. Um, oh, it's my great pleasure. I do appreciate it. Where can my listeners find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter as Surliest Girl, and I'm on Instagram as SurlyGirly5. If you want to check out my regular history podcast, Stuff You Missed in History Class, that is at Missed in History, everywhere on social media. Uh, and then Full of Sith is uh, at Full of Sith. And then I do another history podcast, which is Fake History. It's about fictional history with one of my co-hosts from Full of, Full of Sith, Brian Young. And that is at Fothentics. That's so many Twitter handles to be talking about. I apologize. It's okay. You you have more, but that's okay. <laughs> I didn't even talk about the Church of the Immaculate Rodian. I didn't even. Didn't even. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Moonjockey's Pod. You can follow me at Balls in Play. Uh, next week, we dive into our character discussion of Padme Amidala with Amy Wishman from Padme Amidala. Thank you for listening, and until next time, may the Force be with you, always.